My name is Erskine Bell, the host of the Black Self-Sabotage Trap podcast. This podcast takes an honest look at why so many Black Americans continue to lag behind all other groups in so many areas. Is this a byproduct of racism? Or is it largely due to the influence of Black culture? Black self-sabotage. Today's episode is entitled, My Right to Vote. It's the first in a three-part series. Why did Black Americans have to fight so hard for the right to vote? Why were so many people against them having the right to vote? What was the root cause of denying them rights that were so freely given to others? Over the next few weeks, I'm going to do a deep dive into an issue that most black Americans are very, very passionate about, voting rights. It's the one thing that we all agree on. Often we're so passionate about this particular subject that it is hard to have a meaningful discussion about the new voter laws that have gone into effect since Trump lost the last election. All that we hear in our community is they are trying to take away our right to vote. What is this distrust based on? It is so deeply rooted in the black community. Did something happen in the past to cause many in the community not to trust the judicial system? not to trust the legislators to protect their rights when it came to voting? Today, let's take a peek back in history to see what really happened. Let's begin our journey at the doorsteps of the Supreme Court, the Dred Scott decision. Dred Scott was a slave whose owners had taken him from Missouri, a slaveholding state, and they took him into Illinois and the Wisconsin Territory where slavery was illegal. In those days, once free, always free. So when they took him across state lines into Illinois and also into the Wisconsin Territory, Dred Scott thought, according to the laws that day, that he was a free man. Then they took him back into Missouri And he thought that he was free, but they told him he was not. So he sued in U.S. federal court, which ruled against him. And then he applied to the U.S. Supreme Court. In March 1857, the Supreme Court issued a decision. Now tell me, how do you think that came out? On the court, the Chief Justice, Rortani, was a former slave owner. Four of the Southern justices were slave owners. So here's a slave saying, I don't think I should be a slave anymore because you brought me into free territory. And the people that are going to make the decision, most of them are current slave owners. So how did you think that came out? The court decided seven to two against Dred Scott. And Chief Justice Roger Taney, 
He wrote for the majority. He wrote, The court ruled that people of African descent are not included and were not intended to be included under the word citizens in the Constitution, nor ever could be, and can therefore claim none of the rights and privileges which that instrument provides for and secures to citizens of the United States. So he said, listen, he was not a citizen, so therefore none of the laws that the Constitution wrote about, none of those pertain to him, he was not a citizen, and then the judge went on to say, nor ever can be. However, in 1865, after the Civil War was over, the Dred Scott ruling was superseded by the passage of the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution, which abolished slavery. The 14th Amendment in 1868 granted citizenship to all persons born or naturalized in the United States, including former enslaved people, and guaranteed all citizens equal protection of the laws. Now, I know what you're thinking now. You're saying, okay, all of the black people's problems are over now because they're citizens. And because they're citizens, the 14th Amendment to the Constitution guarantees all citizens equal protection of the laws. And then the 15th Amendment, ratified in 1870, the rights of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. There it is. There you have it in black and white. Blacks now have the right to vote. That is black men. It didn't pertain to women, but black men had a right to vote. So in three years, blacks got a package deal. Slavery was over. They were now citizens, and they had the right to vote. And in that time period, this was hard to believe, that more than a half million black men became voters in the South during the 1870s. And when Mississippi rejoined the Union in 1870, former slaves made up more than half of the state's population. In other words, they outnumbered whites in the states. And at that time, 90% of all black people that were eligible to vote had registered to vote. And believe it or not, the state of Mississippi sent two black U.S. senators to Washington. Mississippi was the first state to send a black senator to Congress. So you are probably thinking, why was the Voting Rights Act of 1965 required? Because you had the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment guaranteed them to be citizens and they had the right to vote. And the system seems to be working. But something went wrong along the way. In 1876, there was a presidential election 
Samuel J. Tilden versus Rutherford B. Hayes. On the night of the election, the Democrats, Tilden, appeared to come out on top, winning the swing states of Connecticut, Indiana, New York, and New Jersey. And by midnight on that night, Tilden had 184 of the 185 electoral votes that he needed to win, and he was also leading in the popular vote. But the Republican candidate, he refused to accept defeat. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? He refused to accept defeat, and he accused the Democratic supporters of intimidation and bribing. African American voters to prevent them from voting in three southern states, Florida, Louisiana, and South Carolina. So now they find themselves in a situation where neither candidate wanted to concede the election. So they came to what has become known as the Compromise of 1877. They reached a bipartisan deal. And here was the deal. The Democrats decided to say, look, we won't stand in your way. We will allow Hayes to become president. But what we want in return is we want Hayes to agree to withdraw all federal troops from the South so that we can deal with the Negro the way in which we want to deal with the Negro. So, why were the troops there in the first place after the end of the Civil War? They were there to make sure that black citizens were treated as citizens and not as slaves, to protect them from violence. So, the question was if the Union troops were pulled out, could the Southerners, who had enslaved the people in the first place, That turned traitors to this nation and fought a war to keep them as slaves, could they be trusted now to welcome the black people as brethren? What do you think happened? When the federal troops were no longer present to protect the rights of black citizens, white supremacy quickly returned to the old Confederate states. In 1890, Mississippi held a convention to write a new state constitution to replace the one in force since Reconstruction. The white leaders of the convention were clear about their intentions. We came here to exclude the Negro, declared the convention president. The 15th Amendment, they could not ban blacks from voting, but instead, They came up with a new scheme on how they could get around the 15th Amendment. The first thing that they did was they changed the Constitution to require an annual poll tax, which voters had to pay for two years before the election. Now, this was a hard economic burden on black people at that time because they did not have the money. To pay to vote. The next thing that they put in place was you have to prove 
that you were smart enough to vote. So they came up with this literacy test where you had to be able to read a section of the state constitution and explain it to the white clerk who would process your registration and tell you whether you qualified or not. So now you have the test. And the only person that could determine whether you passed the test was the clerk. So this literacy test and the way in which they implemented it excluded about 60% of the voting age of black men in the state. Many of them could not even read yet because remember, a few years earlier, they were in slavery and it was against the law for them to learn how to read. But they made this test. But in doing so, they had to change that up a little bit because what they discovered was that there were a lot of poor white folks who couldn't read either. So then they added another clause to the Constitution, and here's what it said. They added the grandfather clause that permitted registering anyone whose grandfather was qualified to vote before the Civil War. Now, no black folks were qualified to vote before the Civil War, so therefore, with that clause alone, you sort of said no black folks can vote because their grandfather was not qualified to vote before the Civil War. So in doing so, Mississippi cut the percentage of black voting age men registered to vote that were black from 90% during Reconstruction to less than 6% in 1892. And these measures worked so well in Mississippi that most of the other southern states copied this approach and did the same. As a result of intimidation, violence, and racial discrimination, and the different state laws across the entire South, a mere 3% of voting-age black men in the South were registered to vote. By not having the power of the ballot, African Americans in the South had little influence in their communities. They did not hold elected office. They had no say-so in how much of their taxes would be or what laws would be passed. They had little, if any, control over local police, courts, or public schools. They, in effect, were denied their rights as citizens. The question is, Where was the Supreme Court when the states were passing these laws? Because in 1870, the 15th Amendment gave black American males the right to vote. Five years later, Congress passed the Civil Rights Act of 1875, which guaranteed that everyone in the United States was entitled to the full and equal enjoyment of public accommodations and facilities regardless of race or skin color. But the Supreme Court had a problem with that. The Supreme Court declared the Civil Rights Act of 1875 to be unconstitutional in 1883. The court also said Congress lacked the constitutional authority 
under the 14th Amendment to grant equal protection under the law to blacks, stating that only states and local governments could do that. It also passed a ruling stating that the Enforcement Act of 1871, which forbade meetings of Ku Klux Klan members, was unconstitutional. Now, wait a minute. I didn't realize that the law worked that way. Now, the people who had me as a slave for over 300 years, these are the people, after you get an amendment to the Constitution to say that I have the right to vote, now these people are saying that, well, it's up to the states. The states and local government can do that. Only the states and local government can grant equal protection under the law to black folks. Not the same for everybody else, but just to black folks. Only the local states can do that. It didn't make much sense to me then, but continue with me on this journey. After the Supreme Court ruled against the Civil Rights Act of 1875, every single Southern state redrafted its constitution. In South Carolina and Alabama, Ballots were introduced to make it impossible for people with poor reading skills to correctly cast their ballot. And this practice was adopted all across the South. In 1890, the legislature in Louisiana passed a law forbidding the mixing of races on public railways. The law said rail cars could be separate, but they had to be equal. The Supreme Court case, Plessy v. Ferguson, upheld that decision in 1896, legitimizing even more discrimination against African Americans. In its ruling, the court denied that segregated railroad cars for black people. Were necessarily inferior. Writing for the majority, Justice Brown wrote If the civil and political rights of both races be equal, one cannot be inferior to the other civilly or politically. If one race be inferior to the other socially, the Constitution of the United States cannot put them on the same plane. We consider the underlying fallacy of the plaintiff's argument to consist in the assumption that the enforced separation of the two races stamps the colored race with a badge of inferiority. If this be so, it is not by reason of anything found in the Act, but solely because the colored race chooses to put that construction upon it. And with this, Only one Supreme Court judge disagreed. In other words, the Supreme Court said, separate but equal is okay. But only one judge had a dissenting opinion. And here's what he wrote The white race deems itself to be the dominant race in this country. But in view of the Constitution, in the eye of the law, There is in this country no superior, dominant, ruling class of citizens. 
There is no caste here. Our constitution is colorblind and neither knows nor tolerates classes among citizens. In respect of civil rights, all citizens are equal before the law. The humblest is the peer of the most powerful. The law regards man as man and takes no account of his surroundings or of his color when his civil rights, as guaranteed by the supreme law of the land, are involved. It is therefore to be regretted that this high tribunal, the final expositor of the fundamental law of the land, has reached the conclusion that it is competent for a state to regulate the enjoyment by citizens of their civil rights solely upon the basis of race. What can more certainly arouse race hate? What will more certainly create and perpetuate a feeling of distrust between these races than state enactments, which, in fact, proceed on the ground that colored citizens are so inferior and degraded that they cannot be allowed to sit in a public coach occupied by white citizens. Now, I can agree with John Harlan here because that sounds like the United States that we live in today. I don't know what the other people on the court were doing. Do you think it had anything to do with most of the other judges were prior slave owners? And in order for you to own a slave, that you had to see him less than what you were? You think that influenced their decision somehow? But I think that John Harlan hit the nail on the head. It was not until 1954 when the Supreme Court overturned Plessy versus Ferguson in the Brown versus Board of Education decision that said that racial segregation was ruled a violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. It took them almost 100 years to figure that out. How could the Supreme Court have gotten it wrong so many times when it came to black protection under the 14th and 15th Amendments? 14th Amendment, 1868, you are a citizen. You have equal protection of the laws. Many times, Supreme Court said no. 15th Amendment, 1869, the right to vote. Supreme Court stood back and allowed southern states to put all kind of laws in place to stop blacks from voting. And yet, 100 years later, the black people, they still could not vote, which brings us up all the way to 1965. Just think about it. World War I, 1914. Black men fought and died for this country, but when they came home, they could not vote. World War II, 1939, they went and they fought, they bled, they died for this country, and they came home, and they could not vote. They fought in Korea in 1950, fought for freedoms for other people abroad, and they came home, they could not vote. They went and fought again in 1955 in Vietnam. When they came home, they could not vote. And the question is, why? Why is it that black people had to fight so hard 
for rights that were freely given to other people. Why do you think that is? Please post a comment on our website, blackselfsabotagetrap.com, and tune in next week. I'll share the secret as to why black people have had to fight so hard for rights that other people were given so freely. In the words of Barb Marley, now we see the light, we're going to stand up for our rights. Thanks for tuning in today. Remember, we are the masters of our own destinies. If you enjoyed the episode today and would like to be made aware when new episodes are posted, please subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Or you can visit us at blackselfsabotagetrap.com. We would love to hear from you. Send us your comments about our show by using the website contact page to send us an email or clicking on the microphone icon to send us a voice message. Cheers.